This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is John Kill, CFO of C2FO, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 267. How is a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? What's it like to be CFO of a portfolio company? The fact is, private equity partnerships take many forms, and from one company to the next, the collaborative dynamics often vary. However, when a seasoned finance leader is part of a company's management team, the relationship is often synergistic as the partnership helps to facilitate the adoption of new management approaches and technologies that will help drive growth. With this episode, you'll be hearing the candid views of three CFO thought leaders when it comes to their private equity partners. We'll begin right after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intact provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intact provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Our first finance leader featured as part of this uh, partnering with private equity episode is Brian Giambagno of Action Environmental Group of New York. The industry is waste management. And Brian, I think, provides a great overview of Action's uh, relationship with its private equity partners. He mentions a number of practices that he uses uh, to keep the channels of communication open at all times. Here's Brian. I've spent a good part of my career either a CFO of a division of a large company, in a few cases large public companies, or a CFO in uh, private equity-backed middle market-sized companies. Uh, I happened through my network to get a phone call with an opportunity here at Action. Um, It's a private equity-backed group that was looking to grow. Uh, They want to do a a number of acquisitions and and take the business to the next level. Uh, They were looking for a CFO to you know, take a, a solid base finance group to the next level that, that was capable of growing the business rapidly um, with geographic expansion as well as um, additional service offerings. Uh, somebody that could be a part of the executive team and build the organization. You know, in my career, I've, I've really enjoyed building things. Uh, so when I heard this opportunity, it sounded like a, a a good, fun opportunity to go and build something and, and take it from the ground up. We have a, a great relationship with our private equity group. Uh, it, it's really a partnership. Uh, we're all we're all in this together, as they say. We're all working toward the same common goal. Uh, actually, it's a unique situation where we have four private equity investors. Um, 
I probably talk to one of them, you know, almost every day. Uh, in a formal way, we do meet on a quarterly basis in board meetings. Um, I prepare monthly reporting packages uh, and MDNAs that go to the each of the investment groups, so that they're they're fully informed of of where we're going, what we're doing, what some of our business challenges is. So we have, you know, just, as I said, we have formal board meetings. We have monthly reporting packages, and on you know quite often informal discussions on on the business. Uh, you know, I operate you know you know very transparent organization. Um, I, I preach both up, upward and downward to my team, no surprises. I want to make sure everybody's informed on, on what's going on within the organization. You know, so the monthly reporting package is one of the first things I did when I joined the company was to make sure that we had detailed financials, uh, P&Ls down to every operating business unit um, with, with you know, monthly statistics and metrics. Um, and then I write a, a rather comprehensive management discussion analysis that outlines the results of the business as well as forward-looking information and projections for, uh, you know, the upcoming months. Uh, so this way, when we get into a board meeting, it's more of a business discussion as opposed to, you know, rolling our sleeves up and, and having to spend hours on the financials. Um, you know, we're, we're a very close group. So even though there's four distinct investment groups, there is a certain protocol within, uh, and, you know, Two of the investors are truly lead investors who we t communicate with uh, mostly. Um, if I do happen to get a call from one of the other investors, um, I just make sure everybody's in, in, in the loop and um, also making sure the communication is consistent. And I'm not feeding information to one group and not the other. So, for example, when we send out our metrics and our monthly reporting package, everybody's getting the same report on the same day of the month. Uh, so it's uh, a very consistent uh, message consistent reporting package across all four groups. Our next finance leader is Richard Antonek, CFO of Veritex. Now, Rich had mentioned at the start of our interview that private equity had played an important part in shaping his CFO career, uh, beginning back when he was a VP of finance for Thompson Financial. And so we asked if he would supply a bit more detail for us. Here's what he shared. This actually goes back to uh, Thompson Thompson Corporation, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I was helping them sell uh, a large piece of their business around the media space. And um, it was an auction process uh, led by, you know, we had an, an investment banker that did a great job for us. And... Um, the winning firm ended up being InvestCorp. So uh, we were selling the company. They positioned a you know a, a nice role for me. I was not the CFO at the time to come over and kind of manage that business with them. And I moved over, and I really I thought it would be a, a good opportunity to get more involved intimately with the business as opposed to helping Thompson either buy or sell other assets. So um, I made that move and uh, worked with the group for you know four or five years and. After that time, they asked me to become the CFO of that group. And then uh, that company was exited for, you know, a good return. There was another one that was uh, available, and they asked me to then move into that company, and that company was called Acuity. Uh, the first one was Source Media, which prior to InvestCorp's ownership was Thompson Media. But then Acuity came along, which was a very dynamic, you know, great management team, great leadership group, 
a very um, cutting-edge technology-driven product, and uh, it was just a great opportunity. So I moved into that company and spent, uh, you know, three or so years as their CFO, and we had a, a very good exit. We sold the company in 2011 uh, to Reed Elsevier, and um, right at the time when that company was being sold, Veritex had sort of been new to the family at Investcorp, and um, it was uh, a company that they wanted to, you know, make a change on CFO and asked me if I was interested, and uh, I jumped right in. So it's been, it's gone very quick, but it's been about 11 years of uh, working in three very different companies for Investcorp. In many ways, I think a lot of people think of a CFO position as being one around accounting or finance or you know, working through uh, debt-related matters or capital structure, which is definitely a component to every CFO's job. But I think to be successful as a CFO, you have to operate within the business. You have to understand what the business does, you know, and overall who the people are, not just in your team or in the sales team, but all parts of the business. And that kind of, um, you know, I wish I had known that earlier, but I, I'm thankful that, Probably five years ago, um, I was invited to a GE training seminar, one-day thing at their uh, training group center in Westchester. And one of their CFOs had kind of gotten up and said that, and it really dawned on me. It was early when I had just started becoming a CFO or soon after I became one. And at that moment, I just said, you know what, I wish I knew this sooner, but I'm thankful I know it now. And I made it a much greater point to be more involved in the day-to-day -day management and running of the business. Don't go anywhere. Another finance leader will share their view of private equity partnerships after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final finance leader for you this episode is Bill Elkin of Interflex, a manufacturer of packaging solutions both in the States and the UK today. Interflex has uh, made several acquisitions over the years. We asked Bill how the firm partners with private equity to realize its M&A ambitions. So Interflex today is, is currently one of the top 25 flexible packaging manufacturers in, in the United States. Um, we have multiple plants in the, in the U.S., and we also have two plants uh, overseas in the United Kingdom. When we, when we make an acquisition, or when we're looking to make an acquisition, um, and, and this partly reflects the type of, of private equity investors we've attracted and, and have been fortunate enough to work with. Uh, you know, we're trying to create value by growing the business um, and, you know, not necessarily by stripping out costs and um, which, you know, on an acquisition there's going to be consolidation. You know, there's generally going to be consolidation costs that you want to achieve. But, you know, what we've tried to find are businesses that have 
a profile similar to what we're interested in. It's got to tick at least two of our four sort of key strategic initiatives. And but but we're looking for a business that's got you know potential to grow and has you know opportunity to add value you know having a growth platform for for the next investor um i mean if if we're all part of the same private equity landscape we know that there's going to be a next investor so um you know that's always in the back of your mind but you know we we think about all that as we're going into an acquisition. We spend a lot of time, um, particularly Stephen and I, the CEO. We spend a lot of time doing our own due diligence up front to make sure that the business that we're looking at is something that we feel like we can bring into the fold and manage. And so before we start having advisors come in uh, and and spending sort of the big M and A dollars, I mean we have. We have spent a lot of time with management, both at the at the senior level as well as middle managers, trying to understand how their business runs, trying to understand what the differences are between our model and their model, and just making sure, in our minds anyway, that that we can a integrate the business, b run the business, and then c grow the business. Um, so when we do bring the advisors in, it's generally just confirmatory due diligence versus you know, the real uncovering of or trying to uncover, um, you know, things that may or may not be right. It's just more confirming what we already believe. And that has helped us, but it's also hurt us because some people just aren't used to that process. But we really want to, we really want to believe that we can do what we're setting out to do before, before we get into whatever you want to call it, you know, phase two of, of the due diligence round. For us, it's about investing the time uh, up front and and throwing the right resources at uh, up front. And we tend to use quite a few members of our senior team to do that. It's not just it's not just one or two people. Uh, we want to ex- we want to expose the people who are going to be responsible for managing it and growing it to the business before we just drop it in their lap. Many thanks again to finance leaders Brian Giambagno, Rich Antonek, and Bill Elkin. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching. And we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at CFOThoughtLeader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. 
Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.